0: All right, if you have a Bible, let's open it together to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Lights are coming on. You can read your Bible. We're in a study through the gospel of Luke. We're reading one chapter a week, so hopefully you've read through chapter 5 this week. Before next week, and we come together and we're going to look at chapter 6? So one of the things that you might do this week is read Luke chapter 6 every day. And if you did that, and you know you get that done next week I'll have you come up on the platform and preach with me all right so as you as you're going through the week you're reading and you're saying what's what's going to happen in church Luke chapter 5 Jesus is now calling his disciples at the end of chapter 4 he said I have to go to many other cities and preach the gospel because Jesus is preaching the good news about himself and about the kingdom of God, and it's good news for all people. It's not just for the religious. It's not just for some people. It's good news for all people. And when we come into chapter 5, Luke is identifying the the 12 disciples who are going to be a part of his ministry. And we're going to break into chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. On the occasion when he calls some of the disciples to follow him, And so we're going to read verses 1 through 3 to begin. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of those boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from land. And he sat down in the boat and taught the people... From the boat We'll stop there. Already, Jesus' ministry is drawing thousands of people, so that He's at the lake shore. This is the Sea of Galilee, by the way, which was a primary lake for commercial fishing. It was um, filled with fish. The Jordan River flowed into it, and out of it it was 13 miles long and seven miles wide, and it was a sort of a center in Judea for uh, commercial fishing, fishing and there were the boats on the shore, and Jesus was standing on the shore, and people were just pressing in on him. Some estimated thousands of people, so that he's backing up into the water, and they're just pressing in, because they've seen him begin to do miracles, and they want to hear from him. So he gets in a boat, and he gets Simon, not by accident, which is Peter. He said, I want your boat. I want to get in it, and they push the boat out, And so then it becomes sort of an amplification system across the flat water so that he can speak to the crowd from the boat. But in verse 1, I want you to see something that I underlined in my Bible and circled. Because what I want you to know is that what happened to these 12 disciples, uh, some are noted in particular in chapter 5, but all of them generally, learned something about Jesus. And if you will learn this about Jesus you may have the same response in your heart that you would say to him I will follow you. And some of some of us may need to make a decision today to start following Jesus. Anyway, on one occasion, the crowds pressing in to hear the word of God he was standing by the lake the crowd is hearing the word of God and Luke tells us that they're hearing the word of God but I don't want you to imagine that Jesus is standing there with what we often think about as the word of God which is this I don't want you to imagine that Jesus has a Bible because he doesn't nor as we saw in chapter 4, that he has a scroll because he doesn't. We talk about the Word of God, the Bible, and we encourage ourselves to read the Word of God. We want to be in the Word of God because it's truth. But the crowd gathered together to hear the Word, in Greek, coming from God. What Luke is telling us is that when Jesus is speaking, God is speaking. And what I want you to know is that when Jesus speaks, God speaks. And if God speaks, we should follow. I love that this is what Luke is telling us. Jesus is speaking about forgiveness and salvation and the kingdom of God, and his words from his mouth are God's word. I don't think that Jesus had to study or write out or practice his message. If you've seen The Chosen, he does in The Chosen. I'm not sure. He needed to because he's god and i don't think he needed a library or anything because he often defended his own words as the words of god in john chapter 5 verse 24 jesus said truly truly i say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life he doesn't come into judgment but has passed from death into life And in chapter 7, Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own, it is from him who sent me. Jesus speaks the word of God because, everybody, he is God. One more little picture for those of you who know your Bible, in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to a woman who was caught in adultery and unjustly brought before him and thrust to the ground in front of Jesus. And the Pharisees judge this woman, a total setup. And they want Jesus to condemn this woman for her adultery. And I don't know if you remember what Jesus did exactly, but this is what he did. He knelt down on the ground. And the Bible just tells us that with his finger, he started writing on the ground with his finger. And after a while, he stood up and he said, you who are without sin, let the stoning begin. And one by one, they dropped their stones and they wanted to kill her. And they all walked away. Because they knew they weren't without sin. But what was Jesus doing with his finger in the ground? I think it's a picture of the God of the Old Testament who with his finger inscribed the tablets of stone on the rocks for Moses. And Jesus was just saying, I and the one who wrote the law are the same. When when they heard the words coming from God, that's what Luke is trying to tell us. God is speaking. So wherever you see your red letters, it's okay to look at those red letters and know those are the words of Jesus. I want to know what Jesus said. We believe all the word of God is God's word. But where Jesus was on the shore, he was literally saying the things that God wanted to say. And among them, forgiveness, salvation, the coming kingdom. I have good news for all people. Well, let's watch what happens. In verse five 4, when he finished speaking... He said to Simon, why don't you put out into the deep a little bit and let your nets down for a catch? And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. I'll read 6 and 7 too. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now, Jesus has already shown, I, I speak the words of God. Now you're gonna see something else about Jesus that Jesus says, Simon, why don't you go out a little bit deeper and let your nets down? Simon says, perhaps a little bit of a rebuke to Jesus um, You're a carpenter. I am a professional fisherman. And he was. He was a commercial fisherman with with the others. And um, But at your what? At your word. Why? Uh, your word is important. You speak the words of God. At your word, we'll do it. Let's go, guys. Go out they let the nets down, and they get this catch that is so big, it's breaking the nets, and they have to call the other boat out, and they fill these two boats, and they begin to sink. And what I see about Jesus in this small glimpse is that Jesus has authority over nature, and he is demonstrating his miraculous power in this moment to a commercial fisherman And he, among everybody else, knew that this was a miraculous work of God. He knew it was, because he had fished all night. Now, in this lake, it was filled with fish, but fishermen would fish at night. And that's when they would catch fish, as fish would come to the surface, and they would gather them in the nets. And in the heat of the day, the fish would go way down deep. And maybe that's why Jesus said, go out a little bit. But Jesus knows exactly where the fish are. And he directs the fish into the net. And the multitude of fish that are caught in the net is so great that it fills both the boats and sinks both the boats. Now, all we know about this is that Jesus is demonstrating something of his deity to Simon Peter and the other disciples. He's demonstrating that I am the one who has authority over nature. The wind and the sea obey him. Everything holds together by Jesus. Colossians 1.17, he holds all things together through his own power. Um, He is the omniscient one. He knows where the fish are. It's interesting. I don't know how that happened, but they go to this place, let them down, and the nets are full. Do you believe it? You believe it happened? I, I mean, they couldn't believe that this was even possible, but Jesus is demonstrating something that he knows fish. I love to fish, and I remember being a, a fisherman and fishing in a, a river for a long time, and then an expert, whether it was Dr. J or Doug Palmer or somebody else comes along and step in behind me. I haven't caught anything, and they just go, Doop, and they're going to catch him. It's good to have somebody who's sort of an expert. And Peter is the expert. And Jesus is a carpenter, the son of God, and he fills the boat with fish. What does Peter know? There's something about you. You know everything. And in fact, that actually is true. What does Jesus know about fishing? Um, he knows everything about everything. Why? Because he's God. This is the point of this. You might remember in John chapter 2, there were a lot of people who were coming to Jesus and they they were believing in him, John 2 says. But Jesus wasn't believing in them, John 2, 24 and 25 says, because he didn't need anyone to bear witness about mankind because he knew what was in man. Jesus knew about all people. He knew where the fish were. He knew that if Simon would do as he said, they would fill that boat. Jesus knows everything about every person. He knows everything about you. Keep your finger here and turn right in your Bible to John chapter 1. Let me show you another little glimpse of Jesus' omniscience. He knows everything. John chapter 1 and verse uh, 43, again, another calling of one of the disciples. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip, and he said to Philip, follow me. So he's going to call Philip. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, well, come and see. I love that. Philip was called by Jesus, and the first thing he did was say to his brother, you need to come. You need to come see Jesus. When's the last time you told somebody you need to come see Jesus? This is a theme here for the morning. He says to Nathanael, you need to come and see. And so he comes. In 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile or deceit. And Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And what does Nathaniel say? Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Why? because he convinced nathaniel that he had all knowledge and knew him before then and when you know that jesus knows everything there's only one of two replies there are two replies one of which you will make either hide or surrender And these disciples are being called to follow because they know Jesus knows everything and that he's all powerful and that when he speaks, he speaks as God speaks. Now, if you're here today and you're wondering whether or not God knows you, God knows anything about you, it's the good news and the bad news that God knows everything about you and he knows when you lie down and when you rise up, you might look at Psalm 139. I I think about your thoughts toward me all the day long. How numerous are your thoughts? If I were to consider them, they're more than the sand of the sea. You, You think about us. You know everything about us. That's good news and bad news, right? The bad news is that he knows all of our failures and our shortcomings, but this is resolved in the next things that we learn about Jesus. So Simon Peter lets down the net, they catch this big catch of fish, and Peter knows that it is absolutely a work of God, so that in chapter 5, verse 8, here's Peter's response. When Peter, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "'Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord.'" There's something else about Jesus that now Simon sees. Not only does he speak the truth of God, not only does he know everything about anything, including fish, not only is he able to catch this great omnipotent power in catching fish, but he knows that Jesus is holy because what he says of himself is, Get away from me, Jesus. I am a sinner. When you see Jesus as he is, This is the right response. I am a sinner. I see you as you are in your holiness, and I know who I am in my sinfulness, and there is no reason I should be in the same boat with you. This is a picture of absolute broken repentance. At the display of Jesus' divinity, Peter sees himself as poor, blind, broken, sinful. He is the one in need of the grace that Jesus preached in chapter 4 from Isaiah 61. He is feeling repentant, sorrowful, unworthy, and Jesus is showing his holiness to Peter. But I want you to notice, what is the work of providing fish for peter it is the most gracious gift that jesus gives peter two boatfuls of fish and he still says get away from me i'm afraid of you usually we think of seeing the power of god in judgment and we fall away That's in the Bible. Remember when Job was meeting with God, and God was calling Job to the carpet, and finally Job answers, I heard of you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. That's when God was doing his work. Remember Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and I, I saw him sitting on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple and seraphim were calling holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is filled with his glory and isaiah says i'm gonna read it and i said woe is me for i am lost i am a man of unclean lips and i dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts and immediately, any close proximity to God, any glimpse of who Jesus is in, in His fullness, His majesty, His omniscience, His power, His holiness, it's just a sense of, I, I'm a sinner. But there are a lot of people in the story who don't feel that. We're going to get to them. And you have a choice today. When you think of Jesus, do you think, I need his forgiveness, or I'm pretty good. That's the story that's happening here. Peter absolutely knows he is a broken sinner and in need of mercy. The ability to admit my inability and my sinfulness is a prerequisite to Peter becoming a follower of Jesus and a disciple, and then an apostle, because he knows that without Jesus, he's lost. Now listen, if you're here today, and this word about being sinful troubles you, so just listen to see what Jesus is going to do. Because Peter is fearful of being in the boat with Jesus, who just showed himself to be an outstanding fisherman. Okay, I imagine that in today's American culture, if Peter had been under the preaching of the American gospel, here's what Peter would have said to Jesus. I like what you did here, Jesus. I'd like to make you a partner in my business. And I'd like you to be with me in my commercial fishing enterprise. You be with me and join me. And the American gospel is a little bit like that. You take Jesus and say, oh, I'll take Jesus and I'll be successful. And that is not what happens. Jesus shows himself for who he is and Peter says, I'm undone. I am not worthy. But what does Jesus say? Next verse. Do not be afraid. We have that next slide. Um, Jesus said to him, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought the boats into land, he left everything and followed him. I love that Jesus says, Don't be afraid, because you get this glimpse that Peter was terrified of what had just happened because he knew he was in the presence of God. And where he was, what's the next thing I learn about Jesus? Not only does he speak the words of God, not only does he know everything, not only is he all powerful to take these fish and put them in the net, not only is he holy, creating a sense of anxiety in Peter that he shouldn't be near Jesus, but what does Jesus say? Do not be afraid. Why? I love you. Okay, if you're feeling that to this point, this has been a downer message talking about sin, do you just see what Jesus is saying to the sinner who says to Jesus, I am a sinner? He says, Do not be afraid. Because for this I came into the world to forgive sin, I came to cleanse sinners. And Peter's response is then, I will leave everything. I will leave it all behind. And they come into shore, and that means to me that they walked away from the two boats filled with fish, which would have been a huge cash cow. And I bet the thousands of people who were there each went home with a with sort of a, a party favor they They went home with a fish. Everybody left with a fish, and the boats are there, and the nets are there and And Peter leaves it all behind to follow Jesus because he knows who he is. He sees Jesus for who he is, and he's willing to leave everything else behind. And this marks a real turning point in Peter's life. He's not the perfect man to the end, is he? But in this moment, he knows he's a sinner in need of Jesus' forgiveness, and he receives it, and he leaves it all behind. We're called to this mission, too, because what Jesus said here is you're going to start catching men now, and it won't be fish that you're after, but you're going to lead people into the net. You're going to bring men and women to know the good news of the forgiveness of their sins, the good news of the gospel, good news for all people. This is going to be your new life mission, not business, not commerce, not fishing, but evangelism. You're going to lead people to know who I am. And in a real sense, every one of us who are in the room who follow Jesus are called to a similar kind of mission. As the Father sent me, so I send you. You might not leave your business, but in your business, we were thinking, how can I invite people to know who this Jesus is? His confrontation to Peter is so radical because he speaks the Word of God. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. He's holy, and he's merciful in his holiness that Peter leaves everything. Now, there's another picture. Look over at verse 27. In verse 27, there's another disciple called from a different vocation. Luke chapter 5, verse 27, two miracles happen that we're going to we're going to pass over i might come back to one of them verse 27 after this he went out and saw a tax collector named levi sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me and leaving everything he rose and followed him this is matthew levi two names not uncommon matthew or levi was sitting at the tax booth simon peter was a fisherman matthew or levi is a tax collector what do we know about tax collectors They were despised. So Israel was occupied by the Rome, and Herod Antipas was ruler over Judea. And Rome set up a mechanism whereby the people of Israel would be taxed for the benefit of the Roman Empire. And the way in which a tax office was established is Herod Antipas would take the highest bidder for who would open up a tax office in this city or that city, which means that Levi had bid for a tax office not far from the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is on his way out, and he sees Matthew, or Levi, sitting at the tax booth, and he simply says to him, come follow me, and he does. There's a lot here that probably was going on that we don't know about but let me make a suggestion what i think it was if you were a tax collector everybody hated you because you had become a traitor to israel and you were an extortioner and what you would basically do is you would bid for what you would render to rome and then you'd collect whatever you wanted to collect and you'd keep the rest for yourself and you would do everything that you could to get as much as you could so that you become wealthy. And very often, all the time, tax collectors were wealthy. You like tax collectors? They're coming. They're coming. But it, here, here's Levi, and he's wealthy. He's got a he's got a burgeoning business, but everybody helps him hates him. He's the scum of society. Everybody thinks of them as the worst people, so much so that a tax collector could not enter a synagogue in Israel. And they weren't even ever called upon to be witnesses in a court of law. Why? Because they're liars. So you you would never put a tax collector as a witness in a court case. Everybody hated him. They would recruit thugs, and the thugs would enforce. They would extort money from people. So they were despised. And I have an imagination that Matthew was around when Jesus was beginning his ministry, and he was watching Jesus, and he was feeling like, I am a sinner, and I have ruined my life, and everybody hates me, and I need a new start. And when Jesus came, Jesus knew what was in his heart, that he was broken for his sinfulness. And when Jesus said, follow me, Levi said, I will. And what does he do? Leaving everything he follows him. This is a theme here. Jesus calls, nothing I have is worth keeping compared to following Jesus. And Levi follows. But that's not where it ends. Levi follows, and then verse 29, he makes a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table, and Jesus and the scribes, I'm sorry, the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling to Jesus' disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Levi was so transformed immediately that he said jesus i want you to come to my house i want to throw a party and he throws a party for jesus but he invites all of his friends now all of his friends would have been equal associates they would have been the thugs they would have been probably the prostitutes they would have been everybody in the riffraff of society that everybody else you know near the temple would have hated this group and He brings them together, and who's plopped down right at the middle, reclining at the table, which is the way they had a meal. They were going to be there for a while. This wasn't hors d'oeuvres. This wasn't a snack. This was like a big meal and a feast, and they're reclining at the table eating Jesus in the midst of all these tax collectors. (sighs) So many ways to apply this, but you know the people in your life, Immediately, Levi wanted to get the people in his life next to Jesus. JC Ryle has said that a converted man will not wish to go to heaven alone. And his associates, you got to meet Jesus. You need to know what I know. He forgave me of all of my sins, He forgave me. So he throws this big ceremony a feast together and who's on the outside grumbling but the pharisees and the scribes saying how dare jesus be with these bad people and they are so judgmental that they are looking at jesus around the broken sinner and saying i can't believe you would hang out with those people let's all take note okay jesus was a friend to sinners He came eating and drinking, being around those who were broken and on the fringes, and he loved them where they were. He wouldn't think of leaving them where they were. He called them to repentance. He called them to follow. He called them to leave their former life, but he loved them where they are. That's a motif for us today in Boulder, Colorado. Okay, everybody? We're all broken sinners. We all sin in different ways. We all need Jesus. He's merciful to all people. The good news for all people. So Levi says, I've got some people you should meet. And he welcomes them into this party. So on the outside, they're grumbling. And Jesus answers them. He was not about being a, um, a- addressing the self-righteous Pharisees. This is how he responds in verse 31. Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I called Matthew or Levi, and he repented. Now, in this moment, Jesus is giving his mission statement. I have come to call sinners to repentance. That's why he came. As sure as a doctor wants to see sick patients, Jesus wants to see sinners who see him as holy and find him to be merciful. The gospel is for sinners. And that's exactly why he says to the Pharisees, I didn't come for the righteous. It's irony, okay? Jesus is saying, you're righteous. They weren't but they thought they were. And this is the difference. If you don't think you need Jesus, He will be of no value to you. But when you know you are a sinner and lost and on your way to an eternal hell without Him, He is precious because He forgives sinners completely by His mercy. And the Pharisees are standing outside the party looking in self Righteously moralistic, viewing themselves as if not perfect, just enough better than the worst of these people that I will qualify for God's approval. And Jesus said, I didn't come for you. You think of yourself already as righteous. And until you think of yourself as a sinner in need of the forgiveness of God, Jesus is not precious. But to Matthew, he was so precious, he left his profession. It's worth just saying that if it didn't work out with Jesus, Peter probably had the skills to become a fisherman again. But Matthew, Matthew would have been a traitor to Rome and he would have never gone back to that business. He he threw his career out the door. And he happily followed Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was coming for broken people who were sinners and knew they were sinners. Matthew was one. Peter was one. I'm one. I wish we had time to convince you that what Jesus is really about is forgiving sins. But there is this episode in which these four guys bring a friend to the house Jesus is in earlier in the chapter. And they can't get in the front door because there's so many people in the house, and Jesus is inside healing people. And they bring a paralytic friend, and they can't get the guy in the front door. So they go up on the roof. I I can't imagine what that must look like. They walk up, carry this mattress up on the roof, peel the tiles back, dirt falling down around Jesus, and they lower the guy down in front of Jesus. What a scene. They loved their friends so much they had to get them near Jesus. Do you love your friends to get them near Jesus? That's what this is about. Levi loved his friends, wanted to get his friends near Jesus. They wanted to get him near Jesus, and Jesus said, Wow, I see this guy come down in front of him and says, Your sins are forgiven. And again, the self-righteous Pharisee says, Who is this that says to people, Your sins are forgiven? And Jesus said, I want you to know that I have authority to forgive sins. What's easier, to forgive sins or to heal? Answer, they're both hard. They're both miracles. Like, who, who can do it? There's only one person who can do it. It's God. And if God can do the miraculous of helping a paralytic walk, then He can forgive sins. And so Jesus said, you might know I do have authority to forgive sins take up your bed and walk, and immediately he rose up, picked up what he was sleeping on, walked out the door, and everybody said, we have seen amazing things today. The paralytic walked home and his sins were forgiven. I don't know if you're paralyzed with sin, but you can be forgiven. That's the point. Jesus is showing himself to sinful people And the sinful people are embracing him. The self-righteous, moral people who are so good in and of themselves are rejecting Jesus. What camp will you be in? We need Jesus, and he's merciful. Don't be afraid. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you for the glimpse into the love of Jesus to call broken people to follow him. This is where we are. And I pray that you'll just open our hearts to say what's real about ourselves. We need you. And to say what's real about you. You are God, Lord Jesus. Your word is truth. You're all knowing. You know everything about us. You are perfect in holiness. And yet you're merciful to the sinner who will say, Lord Be merciful to me, a sinner. So please, all around the room today, in my own heart, Lord, I just want your power. I want your forgiveness. I I want to, to know that following you is better than any experience, any business, any endeavor, any pursuit. It would be worthy to leave everything behind and gain Christ. than to lose our soul. So God, hear us today. We just say we love you. We we receive your forgiveness and we pray that by your strength, we'll follow you wherever you lead us. In Jesus' name, Mm -hmm. amen.